So good morning, Journey. That's pretty good, and I want to say good morning to those of you who are live streaming and all of you in the overflow room. Many of you gave away your seats today so that somebody else could get in, so thank you for sitting in our overflow room. I'm so glad all of you are here, and I'm glad it's not cold enough to be ice this morning after we survive one major ice storm. Um, I don't know that I could do another one, but we're so glad that you all are here today. You know, about a year and a half ago, I found myself in a weird position. Um, I woke up, and I did not know where I was. Um, Literally, first time in my life that I woke up and had no clue where I was. I was in a hotel, um, and I had to actually go turn on a light and go look at the phone and read the address on the phone to realize what city I was in so I could remind myself why I was there. I was at the very end of a quarter, an almost 11-week period, um, where I had traveled for nine out of the 11 weeks. And I normally do not travel for a living. Some of you are hearing this and you're like, so what? I, you know, I, I've done that for 20 years. You are better than I am at figuring out your geography. But it was the year we were going into our building. Danielle and I had made a, a big faith pledge, probably bigger than we could have or should have um, towards our, our building payment. Um, and I just said, man, God, any door that you open that will allow me to do ministry um, and make extra so that we can give more to the building, I'll do. And I had just booked all these crazy speaking engagements. I'd actually led a, a trip for our church for two weeks in Israel. And then I was home for a day. And then I uh, flew to Florida and preached like 13 times in four days at a youth camp. And then I was home for a day. I would keep coming back and preaching at church on Sunday and then leading staff meeting on Monday. And then I spent two weeks in Georgia speaking at two youth camps. I came home for a couple days and then I was in Texas speaking at some camps and came home for a couple days. Um, and then I was in Chicago speaking at some stuff. And then I came home, um, and I woke up this day and I thought, man, I don't even know where I am. Danielle and the kids had stayed behind. I was all by myself. And I looked at the phone and found out that I was in Bay area, Texas, which is right between Houston and Galveston. And I remembered I was there speaking, um, at a spiritual emphasis week for a Christian school that had invited me down. And I looked around my room, which was littered with like potato chip bags and Gatorade bottles. No, I didn't have the munchies. No, I wasn't coming off a major bender. Um, but what had happened is I was so tired. I would literally crawl out of bed in the morning. I'd go speak two times to nearly a thousand students in this big Christian school. I'd get back to the hotel around noon and I would literally go to bed and I would wake up in the middle of the night and I hadn't eaten anything. And there was this gas station next to the hotel. I would go over to the gas station in the middle of the night, grab the first couple things I could, uh, walk in a bag of chips, some Gatorade. I go, go eat and drink, go back to bed. And I did that for three straight days. And on this third day, I woke up not realizing where I was. And I thought, man, I can't keep continuing this way. Um, my physical tank was empty. I mean, I was out of gas. My spiritual tank was empty. I just kind of had nothing left. Even when I was reading my Bible, there wasn't much going on there mentally. My family was living life without me. I remember sitting at a restaurant by myself and Danielle texting me updates from Christian's first junior high football game um, that I was missing. And I thought, man, I, like I've, I've got to get a hold of my life. I was living without any boundaries at all. Just go, 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 go. Um, and I was living a life without limits. And I was emotionally drained. And I realized I was not only emotionally drained, but I was also spiritually disobedient. Um, And maybe that's too strong a word. At the very least, I was spiritually ignorant because the Bible teaches us um, that we're not supposed to live our lives at that pace. More than that, the Bible actually teaches us how not to live our life at that pace. And I knew that, but I had ignored all of that. Um, And as a result of that, I was emotionally drained and I was very 
emotionally unhealthy. Say, Christian, what what did you do to address that and kind of break the pattern of what you were in? This month, I'm going to teach you that, but it's going to take me a month. And we're going to start today in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and you can take the notes out of your bulletin so you can follow along or fire up our Journey Church International app. That will have everything that you see on the screen if you want to follow along that way. And in Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is teaching his friends how to live life with purpose. The Apostle Paul is teaching his friends how to live a life that won't be filled with regret. The Apostle Paul is teaching his friends how to live a life that's not filled with shame um, and, and a life that's not going in the wrong direction. Now, Ephesus was a place that was really close to Paul. The Apostle Paul was a guy who started churches kind of all over the Middle Eastern map in the first century, but Ephesus was his spiritual family. Some of the churches he started, he stayed in town a week or two and started a church. Corinth, written, which we find First and Second Corinthians written to it, he stayed for 18 months there, so probably a pretty good relational base there. But in Ephesus, he stayed for three years. I mean, he really put down roots, and he sent the people closest to him to Ephesus when he couldn't be there. This was his spiritual family. So when you see him sharing with the church at Ephesus, he's sharing with his friends some things that are really important to his heart. And in Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17, we hear Paul like a spiritual father saying to his friends, listen, this is the way you've got to live your life. And look at what he says in Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17. Be very careful then. I want you to circle the word careful. He's not saying cautious. He's not saying be nervous about your life. He's saying be filled with care about the way you live your life. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. You know, as I talk to people in our church, as I talk to parents who's Kids go to the same school as my kids go to, as I talk to parents whose kids play on the sports teams that my son and daughter are a part of, um, I get the impression that everyone is just kind of hanging on for dear life. I read the other day what, what, what's titled the 23rd Psalm Revisited for 2017, and I thought, yeah, this sounds a lot like the people I know. It goes this way, the clock is my dictator, I shall not rest. It makes me lie down only when exhausted. It leads me into deep depression and it hounds my soul. It leads me in circles of frenzy for activity's sake. Even though I run frantically from task to task, I will never get it all done for my ideal is with me. Deadlines and my need for approval, they drive me. They demand performance from me beyond the limits of my schedule. They anoint my head with migraines. My in-basket overflows. Surely fatigue and time pressure shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. If that sounds like your life, this month is for you. If this sounds like the life of your husband or your wife or your kids or your friends or your parents, if if this sounds like anyone you know, this month is for them. It might be just for you to learn so you can go teach them or it might be for you to invite them so they can come be a part of what is going on because this is the world in 2017 and that's why we're doing this series that's called Mood Swingers. Mood Swingers is all about finding emotional health in 2017. To say it another way, Mood Swingers is all about trying to figure out how to get off the emotional roller coaster, which leaves us pouring energy into the least important things first, so by the time we get to the most important things, we don't have anything left for them. This week, we're going to take inventory emotionally and say, how we doing? 
and where are we in life. Next week, we're going to learn how to fill up our empty tank. So if you're sitting here and you're a little empty this week, I'm going to give you a tool that shows you how to fill up. And then next Sunday, I'll teach you more about that. Feb 5, we're going to learn how to deal with the tension of changing things that must be changed because some of you are empty because of the way you live your life and you never stop to fill up. And to change that means you're going to have to face some tension in your life and in your schedule. And then our final Sunday, February 12th, I'm going to give you a picture of what emotional health looks like. So you know as you look at yourself in the mirror what you're trying to get to. You say, why is this important? Like, is this church a self-help club? I thought this was like a church that teaches the Bible. I thought this was a church that teaches people how to live for Jesus. Well, this is important because our mission is to see people far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. That's why we're here. And the engine that drives a passionate Christian is their emotional health. You could call it their energy reserves. You see, if you're not emotionally healthy, you can't be fully alive, which is Jesus' plan for your life. You see, if you're not emotionally healthy, you'll never physically be in shape, not because you don't want to, but because you never have the energy for it. That's emotional health. You see, if you're not emotionally healthy, you'll never get spiritually strong, not because you don't want to read your Bible and go to church, but because you don't have energy for it. That's emotional health. If you're not emotionally healthy, you'll never be relationally connected or relationally useful to somebody else. Not that you don't think it's important, but you don't have energy for it. That's emotional health. If you find yourself never having the energy to do anything, but just go to work and come home, the secret you need to find is emotional health. It's the engine that drives everything. And in a life without limits, the first thing to get sick and the thing that stays sick the longest is your emotional health. And it leaves you not having any energy for your marriage. It leaves you not having any energy for your kids. It leaves you not having any energy for yourself. It leaves you not having any energy for the gym. It leaves you not having any energy for a friend. That's emotional health. That's why we're pursuing this series. In a life without limits, it gets stick, sick and stays sick. So the question we're asking today, and that we're going to try to answer all month long, is how can I begin to have a life with limits? How can I set some boundaries? How can I begin to live life in a direction that allows me to have energy for the most important things first and longest? In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul teaches us three ways. I don't know if you saw them. But they kind of jump right out of the text when you understand what he's trying to say. And they are so simple to understand and so hard to apply. But we're going to try. How do we begin to live life with limits and get emotionally healthy? Number one, you've got to confront your past. You've got to confront your past. In verse 15, look at what the Apostle Paul says of Ephesians chapter 5. He says, be very careful then. Be, care be filled with care. For how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Paul's saying if you want to live wise, you have to evaluate your life. If you want to live wise, you, you have to look at your life and you have to confront your past. If you ever want to change your future, you've got to confront your past. And it's interesting how our people are doing this. It's interesting how you're doing this. I ask our church the first week of the year to, to put together a, uh, two words for their life. A word to describe 2016, one word to describe 2016, and a word to describe your goals for 2017. I ask you to hashtag it and put it on social media. It's JCI one word. And we had dozens and dozens and dozens of people who said, man, 2016, I, I would define 2016 by this word, um, but my hope for 2017 is this word. If you haven't done that yet, I encourage you to do it. It directs your year well to have a word that you're chasing. 
But do you know of all the dozens of words that were posted online, no one had a, no one had a word from 2016 to 2017 that went backwards? Like, no one said 2016 was great, and 2017, my word is just okay. Like, nobody wanted to move backwards in their life. Everyone looking forward said, I want to get better. Everyone who posted something said, I want 2017 to be better. So they're saying something has to change. The words people were using for 2017 were words like revitalize, intentional, courageous, stronger, improvement, hope. You know what nobody's 2017 word was? Let down. You know what nobody's 2017 word was? Run down. You know what nobody's 2017 word was? Burnout. You know what nobody's 2017 word was? Regret. You know what nobody's 2017 word was? Absent. Yet we're 22 days into the year, and that's where some of us are headed. We've already experienced a huge letdown from what we wanted this year to be. We already are beginning to be run down again, just like last year. We're wondering if we're going to burn out again, just like last year. We wonder if we're going to regret this year, just like last year. We wonder if we're going to be absent from marriage and family this year, just like last year. See, it's one thing to evaluate your past and to make observations. It's a totally different thing to confront your past. But Paul doesn't say, look at your past and give it a word. Paul says, look at your past and confront it, change it. And to change your past, number two, you have to deal with your present. It's interesting how the Apostle Paul says there's only one way to change your past, and it's doing something now. Look at verse 16. If you want to confront your past, you have to deal with your present. Paul says, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Let let me just summarize that a little bit. The Apostle Paul says this, if you don't live with purpose today, you're going to miss it. If you don't live really intentional today, you're going to miss Today, If you don't do something important today, it will slip by you. You got to make the most of it because you can't have it back. And it's interesting because being emotionally unhealthy, it keeps you from living with purpose. We just go one day at a time. But more than that, being emotionally unhealthy keeps you from ever being emotionally present. So you can be home, but not with your family. And you can be at church, but not spiritually engaged. And you can be with your kids, but not be a parent. And you can be with your wife, but not be on a date. See, when you're emotionally unhealthy and you're always focused on tomorrow, you miss today. One of the greatest preachers who's ever lived was named Charles Spurgeon. He preached in London around the turn of the uh, the 1900s. And he said, anxiety doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It only empties today of its strength. Like when we're emotionally unhealthy and we're always worried about what's next, we miss what's now. And Paul says, you've got to deal with your present. If you, if you want to confront your past, you've got to deal with your present. You say, how do we do that? He tells us in verse 16, but I want to be honest with you, the New International Version, which I read, is not the best translation of what the Apostle Paul said. So Paul didn't write Ephesus in English. He wrote the book of Ephesians in English. He wrote it in Greek. Almost all the New Testament was written in Greek. There's dozens of English translations that you can get it in. The NIV tries to use the most modern English words that we might use in discussion, but it doesn't always describe best what Paul said. In the New King James Version, which is much more a word-for-word translation, so you try to say what the Greek was saying, Ephesians 5.16 says this way, not making the most of every opportunity, but it says redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. 
Say, why does the NIV say it? Well, how many times did you use the word redeem this week or last week or this year? How many times in just general conversation have you said redeeming? It's not a word we use, but it's a better word for us because the word redeem means to buy back. The word redeem means to go get something and and do over. That's what the word redeem means. And the New King James gives it to us just a little better because Paul used a lot stronger language than make the most of. Make the most of every opportunity sounds like a good goal to have. That's not what Paul said. Paul said redeem the time, which basically meant Paul was saying this. Hey, if you want to live wise, get a time machine. That's what Paul was saying. And all of you just looked up because you thought, well, that's impossible. That's exactly what Paul wanted you to see. Paul said if you want to live wise, you have to realize The moment a minute passes, you can't ever buy it back. There's no such thing as time travel. You you can't have a do-over. You won't get a do-over. So the only way you can live wise, the only way you can do anything about the past is to deal with today because the past is over. So you have to deal with the present. I've got a coach in my life named Jimmy Dodd. He runs a ministry called Pastor Serve in our community, but it's a global ministry that coaches um, and basically counsels pastors to keep them emotionally healthy. Our elders have engaged Pastor Serve, uh, and basically their job is to keep me spiritually and emotionally healthy so I can lead our church. That's their job. I meet with Jimmy for two hours every other week. And the very first meeting we ever had, he gave me this piece of paper that I put in your bulletin today. I want you to grab, pull this out and look at it. He gave me this little chart. Our very first meeting ever. And he said, Christian, here's my first assignment for you. If you're going to stay spiritually healthy, if you're going to stay emotionally healthy, he said, you've got to really live intentionally. And he said, here's what I want you to do in the next two weeks before we meet again. He said, I want you to go home and I want you to lay out your ideal week, like your perfect week, not vacation, right? Like not time off, but I want you to lay out a week that allows you to put first things first. And I want you to lay out a week that if you work this week every week for the next 35 years, you could stay in ministry and be a good dad and and be a good husband, um, be a good pastor and be a good friend and stay in good shape. Like I want you to lay out a week that would would put first things first and allow you to make it long term. So I said, all right, I got it. So I went home and he, you know, he had all these grids on here. You can create some more if you want. You know, how many hours of sleep you're going to get to stay healthy, you know, in your ideal week. How many hours are you going to work? You know, how many hours are you going to spend eating meals with people? How many hours are you going to spend with your family? How many hours are you going to spend spiritually? How many hours are you going to spend on personal fitness? How many hours are you going to spend on hobbies and recreation? How many hours do you need for home responsibilities? How many hours will you give to a Sabbath, taking a day off? And he said, here's some things to consider. I've got those at the bottom of your sheet. Date nights, family nights, margin, time with individual children, personal development, continuing education, just things you do for you. He said, I want you to put all those in there. And I want you to come back and give this to me next time that we meet. So I took time and I laid out like my ideal week. And I was so proud of myself because I put together like a great week. Like I looked at that week and I thought, that really is about perfect. And I went back the next time I met with Jimmy and I was like, man, here's here's my deal. Here's my ideal week. And he's like, great. And he looked at it and he said, now, how does last week compare to this week? How, How does your life last week compare to this week? And I laughed. I was like, well, it's not like it's not even close. Like I thought you asked me for my ideal week. And he said, I did. But he said, Christian, if you're going to make it long term, you've got to get your current life to look like the life you've been called to live and that you're responsible to live to make it long term. So he said, I need you to go back in the next two weeks. I need you to try to live this way instead of the way you're living. Then come back and we'll talk about it again. And I came back two weeks later and slid the piece of paper at him. And he said, how'd you do it? And I said, I can't do it. 
Like I cannot live the, the life I want to live, the life I think I'm called to live, the, the life I think I'm responsible to live to make it long term. I can't do it. And he said, no, 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 Christian, you won't do it. It might be hard, but it's not can't. So especially for you, like you're the boss. Can you imagine the people in your church who can't make their own schedule? He said, it's not can't, it's won't. You're saying, this is what I know God has called me to do, and this is how I need to live my life to do it. And you're saying, but I won't do it. And I said, okay, I'll try. And we, year after year, try to figure out how to make my life look like what God has called me to do, but I constantly have to deal with my present. But it's tough to adjust when you're moving at 100 miles an hour. Did y'all hear about the company in, in Colorado, um, a, a tech company that began to offer their employees $7,500 if they would go on vacation? Did, have, have you heard about this company? If, if you work for them and you will go on vacation, they'll give you $7,500 if you will go on vacation. Here's the catch. You can't take your phone. You can't take your laptop. You can't check email. You can't make phone calls. You have to be totally disconnected. And, and here's why. The guy who runs that company said he was sitting in his office with a friend and they were talking about something. He said he had a picture on his wall of, of a trip that he and his family took to, to Egypt. And he said, I got this picture in my office of me in Cairo riding a camel, cam, camel in front of the pyramids. And someone asked me, like, is that, is that a real picture? Are you really riding a camel in front of the pyramids? And he said, I, I kind of said, yeah that, you know, yeah, that was a few years ago. That was right outside of Cairo. And the guy said, are you really sending a text message? And he said, I looked at the picture, and sure enough, I was on a camel in front of the pyramids, and I was on my phone on this camel. And I realized I never disconnected from my life for a moment to spend time with the people who were closest to me. And he said, I got convicted in my heart that if I can't disconnect or I won't disconnect, that something's wrong with me. So he said, I began to offer my employees $7,500, but you got to totally disconnect. He said, you'd be shocked how many people couldn't do it or wouldn't do it. Do you know last year, 41% of Americans didn't take a single day of vacation time and that over half of those had paid vacation days that they just chose not to use because it's hard to deal with the present even when the past leaves us in a place we don't want to be. We refuse to change. We refuse to back off a bit. And the reality is you'll stop eventually. Several years ago, I was counseling a couple who was going through a really difficult time. Um, They were moving quickly towards a divorce. uh, And I gave them this little activity of the ideal week because they just could not figure out a way to get their schedules together to come together. So I gave them both the schedule and I said, I want you both to lay out this calendar in a way that has time for each other and time for your kids because they weren't taking time for each other or time for their kids. They were just living totally separate lives. And they came back after a couple weeks and the wife had filled it out and the husband would not even fill it out. And he said, I just don't have time for this kind of stuff. I just don't have time for this kind of stuff. And I said, when's the last time you've been on vacation? He's like, oh, I don't take vacation. I said, do you not get vacation? He very proudly said, I have 17 weeks of paid vacation banked right now. And I said, but you have no time for your wife or your kids. You don't have time to fill out a sheet. You, you don't have an afternoon to take off and just think about how your present is going to end bad in your future. He said, I just don't have time. You know, he eventually took the time when his wife left him and took his kids. He took a quarter off of work. He had it. It was paid and he traveled the world to try to just get his head screwed on straight before he started life again. I just saw recently that he's going to get married, and I thought, man, I hope he has changed his priorities 
because I know how this story ends of people who won't take time. You know, the reality is everyone stops eventually. Whether it's by choice or by consequence, emotionally unhealthy living stops. We stop it ourselves and we get healthy or it breaks, but it always stops. It's why it's so important to make changes. And let me challenge you with maybe some changes that you need to make. Let me, let me give you some thoughts in the nearly 20 years of ministry that I have picked up. Parents, do you know your kids care way more about you still being married when they're 25 than they do about you coaching every one of their sports teams when they're 10? Like so many parents, when I ask parents, I was like, hey, when's the last time you've been on a date? It's like, oh, we don't date. So tell me what you do in your evenings. And they're busy doing all this stuff with their kids. And I want to say, do you know your kids would rather you take them to one last activity and spend one night with their mom or their dad? Like, you get that, right? Like, you know, when your kids get to college, the only thing they'll wish they had more of growing up was you. Not stuff, you. Do you realize for every time that your child has a teacher tell them they're not smart or a coach tell them they're not good enough, that for every time that happens, they need a Sunday school teacher or a small group leader to put their arms around their neck and say, I love you, and man, God, God made you to be a special person with a special future. I mean, a lot of people, as we started reading the Bible through together, a lot of us as a church, you say, man, I just don't have 12 minutes a day to really read my Bible. I'd love to, but I don't have 12 minutes a day. You know, your Netflix account would beg to differ. That is funnier than you're making it seem, but it's also more real than you're making it seem. It's the reality of the situation. Some of you spend a lot of time building your body, building your career, and, and we can tell because you look great and your business is booming, but you don't spend a lot of time building your marriage and you don't spend a lot of time building your family and we can tell because it's not that difficult to see. You know, we're going to deal with this more in the Family Strong series that we do in the spring, but some of you need to take this ideal week exercise and you need to let your kids go through it. I read an article recently that said the average American teenager needs 42 hours in their day to do everything their mom and dad have signed them up for. Let me say that again for those of you who think I'm dyslexic. 42 hours in a day, the average American teenager to do everything well that their mom and dad have signed them up for. Say, wait a minute, you don't think my kid could professionally play in four sports while proficiently playing inch, two, two or three different instruments and be on the honor roll and be in Congress and run a company? And probably not, probably not all those things. <laughs> but we think so at 10 and 11 and 12. Our kids need to spend more time watching Netflix, right? And then, and then we need to spend more time doing other things. You get the point. You got to deal with the present. We're going to spend more time talking about this in small groups. I'm excited for our small groups this week to begin walking through this together because you know what? We need each other's ideas. I need to hear what you're doing and you need to hear what I'm doing. And we need to say, how are we going to do that? We need to challenge each other. That's why I'm so excited for our small groups to talk about the ideal week, starting with our 1130 AM small group that, that'll meet in about an hour to say, okay, how, how do we, how do we do this? How do we deal with the present? We deal with the present, and then Paul says, if we will do that, that allows us to, number three, walk intentionally into our future. Let's go back to verse 15 and see what Paul says one more time. Paul says, be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Once again, this version of the Bible doesn't give us the best word for what Paul is saying. 
Paul actually used a Greek word that's made up of two English words. In the New King James Version, it says it better. Paul says, see then that you walk circumspectly. Circumspectly. It's made up of two Greek words. One, the word circa, which means around. And second, the word spectacle or, or spect, which means looking. Paul literally is saying, live your life looking around. That, that's, what, that's what he means. Paul said, if you want to be wise, live your life looking around and ask yourself this question, where are you? Where are you? How are things going? Live your life looking around and ask, how are you? It's January 22nd, 2017. Let's step back for a minute and let's ask ourselves the question, where are you? Live your life looking around. Look, at, look around. How much time did you spend building your marriage this week? Look around. Look around. How much time did you spend with your kids this week, parents? Look around. How much time did you spend building into your spirit this week, folks? Look around. How much time did you spend building your body so it doesn't break down at 50? Look around. Paul says if you want to live wise, stop and be circumspect. Look around often and ask yourself this question, where are you? And is it where you want to be? Is it where you intended to be on this date in history? You know, as I read this thought, where are you? Live life looking around, asking the question, where are you? I was taken back to the Garden of Eden and some things that I've learned just in the past few weeks that I never really understood. You know, in the Garden of Eden, there appears to be like this holy game of hide and seek that is played. And it's a text that I have read over and ignored for years and years and years. For those of you who maybe weren't raised in church, God, the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth, and then he planted a garden, then he created a man named Adam. He, he put, it in, put him in there, and then he gave him a wife named Eve, and he gave him one rule, don't eat from this tree to protect them. But then they violated it, and when they violated it, they, you know, they realized they weren't wearing any clothes, they got freaked out, and they went and they hid from God. And it says God came down to take a walk with Adam and Eve, and he couldn't find him. So he's like, you know, ready or not, here I come out of heaven. And he's like, okay, where, like, where are you? And I always thought, what a weird question, where are you? And I started studying some early church fathers that were alive at the time of Jesus that show us what Jesus and his disciples may have understood about Genesis 3. It's a guy by the name of Philo who lived in Alexandria, Alexandria, Egypt when Jesus was alive. And he said the Jews understood 2,000 years ago that question, where are you? Not to be a question for God as much as it was a question for Adam. Like God never has to ask anyone where they are. He, like he knows where they are. He's God. He said instead, God was trying to get Adam to see where he was. He said the question probably sounded more like this. Adam, look where you are. Adam, look where you are. Adam, look where the decisions that you've been making spiritually and as the leader of your family have left you. Adam, look around. Adam, Adam, look where you are now. Look how living your life has impacted you, affected you. Adam, look where you are doing it your way. And they said Adam's response back was so much deeper than I was naked, so I hid. They said that couldn't have been anything dealing with like body image shame because Adam and Eve, God had seen them naked and he was okay with it. God had actually created the way that they look. So if he didn't like it, it was actually his fault. So Adam couldn't have been saying, I didn't want you to see me naked. So I hid. 
Justin Martyr, who lived about 20 years after Jesus died, one of the early church fathers, said Adam wasn't saying, I'm naked. Adam was saying, I'm exposed. Adam was saying, the decisions that I have been making, the spiritual decisions that I have been making, and the spiritual leadership of my family, now that I look around, have left me exposed. And I'm ashamed of where I am. Because God, I'm not close to you. And God, my family is not following you. And when I look at where I am and how I'm living my life, it's left me exposed. I'm vulnerable. I need help. And some of you, if you were to honestly answer the question, where are you? Where are you? Look at where the way you've been living your life has left you. You would stop like I did in that hotel room in Texas and think, I'm living a life that does not put God first, that does not put my family second, that does not leave me with any energy for anyone other than myself in this one core thing, emotional health. You look at where you are and you're saying, this is not, this is not where I wanted to be and I, I kind of feel exposed through this lens. Adam and Eve were exposed, but God stepped in in grace and he redirected them and he was merciful to them and he gave them another chance. And that's what God wants to do for us in this new year. You see, that's why Paul said in Ephesians 5, 17, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The Lord's will is not that you be foolish, but that you be fully alive. That's what we've been talking about as we push towards this year. We want to live a life that's fully alive. We said the secret to that is found in Matthew 6, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And when we look at the kingdom of God early in the book of Genesis, late in the book of Revelation, it's filled with three things. It's filled with God being first. So I gave you a challenge to put Sunday more of a priority than it's ever been. And so many of you have done that. As a matter of fact, there are many of you who the last two weeks wouldn't have been in church, but you can now because of streaming. You're putting God first. You're making time. Gave you a reading and memory plan and said, try to spend time with God every day. Put family second from Genesis through Revelation. We see that in the kingdom of God, people are with their God and with their family. Often they're described as being um, buried to their fathers or with their fathers. It's a thing that we go with family. I challenged our church not to spend so much time working this year for what's in the house that you don't leave any time left for who's in the house. And that describes a lot of people. You spend so much time working for what's in the house that you have no time left for who's in the house. That's emotional unhealthiness. And then develop a spiritual family. People you can rely on and people that can rely on you. You know, in the ideal week, let me give you this statistic. In the ideal week, if you would do everything I'm asking you to do spiritually and become kind of what I would call our basic volunteer at church who's engaged, in your ideal week, you'd have to give seven hours to God. An average of an hour a day. Sounds like a lot, actually. That would be three hours on Sunday, coming and serving for a service and then coming to a service, three hours. That'd be two hours on some weeknight. That includes drive time, getting in and out of a small group, having a spiritual family, and 15 minutes a day of reading your Bible and praying. That's with that seven hours. You could do all of that in seven hours. We have a lot of people who do so much more than that. But that would be a base level that would keep you emotionally healthy. Seven hours a week. So, man, that sounds like a lot. You know how many... You know what percentage seven hours is of your week? Is 4%. 4%. 
4% of your week invested in the kingdom of God, I believe would lead you to great spiritual health. And some of you are, th- are thinking, I can't do that. And I'm going to say what Jimmy said to me. It's not that you can't, it's that you won't. You have to deal with your present if you want to walk intentionally into the future. Say, Christian man, won't you just let me live my life? Because my goal is to push people towards becoming passionate Christians. You know, I, I go to a gym, I go to a CrossFit gym, one of my elders runs, he's sitting right here on the second row. And I asked him last year, heading into this year, man, how can I get better? I want to do some things better. And he said, you're gonna have to come more often. I didn't get offended. I said, all right, I'll, I'll try to do that. I went to my doctor and I said, man, I'd like to be healthier this year. And my doctor said, well, you're gonna have to change a few things. I didn't get offended. I said, all right, if, if what I want means I have to do this, I'll, I'll do that. I, I met with one of Christian's basketball coaches several weeks ago. I said, man, I really want to see my son excel. What more can he do? And he gave me a few things that Christian could do. And I said, all right, because we want to excel, we'll try to do this. Met with one of Casey's teachers at her parent-teacher conference. So what can Casey do to do better here? And they gave us a plan. See, it seems like everywhere in life we're looking for help. We're willing to accept it. But spiritually, there's this tension that says, don't tell me how to live my life. I won't unless you're asking me, how can I be more spiritually healthy? How can I grow spiritually? How can I have more emotional energy? I'm giving you away. How do we do it? Confront your past. Deal with your present. Lay out your ideal week. And then walk intentionally into the future so you don't find yourself like Adam and Eve constantly thinking, how did I get here again? And how do I get out again? So you don't find yourself in Texas one day in a dark hotel room where you don't even know where you are trying to figure out, how did I get here again? Life without limits leads you broken. Life with limits can lead to you being fully alive. Where are you? Where are you? Are you where you want to be? Are you where you thought you would be at this phase of your life, this season of your life? If not, reset. 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 Would you pray with me?